You know, one of the, if not the best director right now, like the, the, the dude who's firing at the absolute height of his powers right now, he is without a doubt on a consistency level turning out the best movies uh, there are. I mean, that's Denis Villeneuve. I mean, he is just the guy right now in Hollywood. And he's got my number one most anticipated film of the year, a film I think is probably, I mean, I might change my mind once I see the movie, but right now, totally blind, I'm predicting it's going to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. That's just how good Denis Villeneuve is as a director. He does nothing but squat down and crap out fantastic art. That's just what he does. He's one of the best in the world at what he does. He's fantastic. And he's always been a really good guy to listen to in interviews and all that kind of stuff. But even the best of dudes, even the best of dudes from time to time will end up saying something really ridiculous and really stupid. And we need to talk about this ridiculous and stupid thing that Denis uh, is spouting off right now. And that is this. Now, a little bit of context I believe that filmmakers should not be talking about other filmmakers unless it's in a flattering way. If you're a pro filmmaker and that's what you are, you're a director in Hollywood, you should not be talking shit about other filmmakers. Leave that to fans to do. Leave that to the idiot pundits like myself to do. Leave that to everybody else. If you are a filmmaker in this business, you should not be talking shit about other filmmakers' work. If you want to talk about other filmmakers, talk about how you've been inspired. You want to talk about other filmmakers? Do what Henry Cavill does. When he's talking about Marvel films, he talks about how much he loves Marvel films, how much fun he has with Marvel films. If you want to talk about other filmmakers, be like Kevin Feige. When he's talking about DC, he's saying, man, I always look forward to the next DC film. I love what DC does and blah, blah. You want to do it? Fine. If you want to talk about other filmmakers, you do that. You do not talk shit about other people's work when you're a filmmaker yourself. Leave that to other people to do. And... As like one of the, if not the best filmmaker in the world today, that doesn't exempt you from that. You got to show some class. Now, what I don't mind, Aaron, what I don't mind Mm -hmm. is when an actor is being, being, is in an interview and like they are directly asked hey, what do you think about comic book movies? And they're put on the spot. And we've seen this happen a few times before. Like, even with, like, people like Jodie Foster or whatever. I have no problem with them saying, giving an honest answer. You know what? I, they're not for me. I don't like comic book movies. They're not for me. There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Well, not just actors, but anyone who's being interviewed and is put on the spot, if it's a director or producer, anyone is entitled to their personal opinion that they don't that they don't respond to comic book movies. But there's a classy way to do that. Sure. And a Bush League way to do that. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Denis Villeneuve, good Canadian kid who should be showing some better Canadian class. He was recently talking and giving a bit of an interview and they were talking about big movies and and high, but big budget movies like Dune, right? And if there's a future for big budget movies and stuff like that. And unfortunately 
my boy, Denis Villeneuve, he decided to open his mouth and let the verbal diarrhea come out. And he said the following. He said this. Perhaps the problem is that we are in front of too many Marvel movies that are nothing more than a cut and paste of others, Villeneuve said. Perhaps these types of movies has turned us into zombies a bit. But big and expensive movies of great value, there are many today. I don't feel capable of being pessimistic at all. Once again, he said, perhaps the problem is that we are in front of too many Marvel movies that are nothing more than a cut and paste of others. Villeneuve said, perhaps these types of movies have turned us into zombies a bit, but big and expensive movies of great value, not those Marvel movies, not them comic book movies. Those don't have great value. My movies have great value and his movies do. Uh, there are many today and I don't feel capable of being pessimistic at all. And by the way, I just want to give a shout out to Jack Wallace who sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that very much. Now, Jack look. Wallace is going to make your new wallet. There you go. <laughs> now, Sorry. look, I don't mind. Let me be clear about this. I don't mind if an interviewer asked Denis Villeneuve, what do you think about comic book movies? He says, you know what? I, I, I personally don't like comic book movies. There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. There are lots of people who don't like comic book movies. That's the subjectivity of film. Fantastic. But when you're a filmmaker of the stature of Denis Villeneuve, when you come out and say stuff like that about not just somebody else's work, but a company like Marvel who just all they do is crank out not just successful films, but films that people are loving and embracing. You have now insulted two groups. When you call those films, you know, they're nothing but copy and paste. And first of all, one of the things that I've always admired about Marvel films is they ain't copy and paste. And if you call them copy and paste, you're just not fucking watching the movies. Now, you may not like the movies, and that's fine. But to call them copy and paste or cut and paste is absolutely ignorant. It's absolute ignorance. It doesn't mean the movies are good. You may hate them, and that's perfectly cool. But Shang-Chi is nothing like Ant-Man. Endgame was nothing like Doctor Strange. Civil War was nothing like Captain Marvel. WandaVision is nothing like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Falcon and the Winter Soldier was nothing like Loki. And even though I didn't like the trailer for the new Hawkeye series, you can tell right away that that Hawkeye series ain't going to be nothing like Loki. But beyond insulting all the filmmakers who pour years of blood and sweat and tears into these things, saying all, all those movies are just copy and paste, which is fine. You leave that to fans to do. You do that to jack-offs like me to do. That's fine. But to do that is an incredible lack of class. But then he went on to insult a second group. And that second group is this. These Marvel films are embraced and loved by audiences and critics alike and stuff like that. And when you say, ah, these movies are nothing but copy and paste and they just turned you into a zombie. Well, now you fucking insulted the audience. Now you insulted the fans. Because now you're saying, yeah, these movies don't have any value. Because he says, yeah, there are big budget movies that have great value, but these aren't them. And if you like these movies, you've just been turned into a zombie. You've just been turned into a zombie. And as a 
high level, massive fan of the work of Denis Villeneuve and who will sit here right now and still say he may be the best director in the world right now. He's not the reigning defending champ. That's Chloe Zhao. But he could very well be the best filmmaker in the world right now. As a Canadian, I'm embarrassed. Uh, I think all Canadians right now are embarrassed by this unbelievable lack of class. Again, no problem if they said, hey, Denny, what do you think about these big Marvel movies? He said, you know, I, I just grew up in a different vein of films. These ones aren't really for me. Nothing wrong with that. Perfectly fair to say. To come out and just directly insult other filmmakers and then directly insult the fans of those films. All in a schoolyard desperation, juvenile attempt to try to elevate yourself. Like, my work is the real good work. And it's true, your work is the real good work. But you let people like me say that. You let people like the audience say that. You, you don't say it yourself. This isn't professional boxing. This is filmmaking. And listen, this, Aaron, I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to hurt him. This is going to hurt him. It's going to hurt his movie. And now his movie's been done dirty by Warner Brothers from day one. But guess what? He didn't do himself any favors right here. He didn't do his film any favors. He didn't do his company any favors. And now he's changed the narrative. Well done, Denis. Well done. You've changed the narrative of, man, this is a highly anticipated film that should be theatrical only. And man, we really all hope it gets its sequel and it could be an Academy Award darling and all that kind of stuff. He has changed it with one sentence. He has now changed the narrative to, oh, the, the Dune? Yeah, that's the movie the director just spit in all of our faces. That's, that's the movie whose director just said that uh, all these films that most of us really love, they're just copy and paste and that we're all just zombies if we like comic book movies and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Denis, what the hell were you thinking? You need to be smarter than this. You need to have more class than this. This is, it's, it's really unfortunate because I'm a huge fan of this guy. He's a good Canadian kid, but he just embarrassed good Canadian kids everywhere this morning. Uh, by saying this very, very poor choice of words. Anyway, Aaron, you, like everybody else, are just hearing about this this morning. Uh, yes. What do you think about it? Okay, well, first of all, let's... I, I don't need to educate you, good Canadian kid, on Canadian geography, but Canada's a big country, and I don't really think of Denis Villeneuve as Canadian. I think of him more as the French Canadian, which is kind of its own country, just with the same currency. Um, so I kind of give him a little bit of a pass because we expect a little bit of snoot from the French part of his DNA. So for that, like if Denis Villeneuve was just pure blood French from France, we'd all be like, oh, he was least French, you know, the Parisians, they, they say what they want to say. But the Canadian part is, I, I, I so I'm just going to ask you as a friend to just let go of the Canada thing. Because uh, I consider him more French Canadian than anything. But that being said, all, all of that Canadian aside. Canadian is Canadian. Same currency, That's like saying, different I don't genetics. consider you American. You're, born, you're from Texas. I don't consider you American. But here's the thing. That's but here's the thing. I'm from Texas and Louisiana. If some jackass in Mississippi says some dumb shit, I don't own that. I'm like, yeah, I'm from the South, but I'm not from that yeah, South. Yeah, but being all you know, classes. You're from Canada, Canadian but you're not thing. from that Canada. That is a Canadian <laughs> thing. Anyway, please continue. It's also a Southern. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So uh, going back to Denny Villeneuve. Um, 
you are right. It is in poor taste to say these things. And you're absolutely right. Leave it to the pundits, leave it to the fans, leave it to the other, you know, the other talking heads to say, ma, ma, ma. But, you know, this is a very small circle that Denis Villeneuve is. Uh, I, I always consider Hollywood to be sort of like a squ- um, uh, swimming in the ocean. When you first move to Los Angeles, you first pursue your career, you are in an ocean, there's a million fish. It just seems so overwhelming and daunting. Eventually you find yourself in a lake and you're like, wow, it's a little bit smaller, but still overwhelming. Eventually you get to an aquarium. Denny Villeneuve is in one of those tiny little fish bowls where not necessarily where the beta fish swim, but a little fish bowl. And so he is very much um, when he's saying these things, he is very much talking to the Chloe Zhao's of the world. And for me, yeah, I did not like the Eternals trailer. I am very much looking forward to the movie Eternals, but I didn't like the trailer because I felt like the focusing on the laser beams and for me, the trailer did not live up to what I expected for the movie Eternals. That's and, 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 like that's different than saying all an entire genre is garbage. And so when Denny Villeneuve says an entire genre is garbage, when that genre is being directed by some of the most incredible and respected filmmakers, not just filmmakers, but also cinematographers and uh, visual effects designers and, uh, and, and sound designers and performers that we have in our industry. It is a big fuck you to a lot of people and a lot of people that Denny Villeneuve will probably want to work with. Um, it is very much within his right to have an opinion. And for anyone who wants to, because Anytime these conversations come up, there's always the what about free speech? John, having a law degree, could you tell us, remind us a little bit about what freedom of speech means in America? Uh, it means you have the right to say whatever Did you want to say, but you're not free from the consequences of what you decide to say. There are consequences to what you say. And being like freedom of speech does not mean you get to say whatever you want to say and nobody should be able to say anything about it. No, 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 no. Freedom of speech goes both ways. You can say whatever you want to say, but now everybody else can react to what you're saying and there can be consequences to what you're saying. So that's freedom of speech goes the whole direction. So I, I, again, I have no problem with any filmmaker saying, I don't like Marty Scorsese films. They, They just don't work for me. That's fine. But what I don't think a filmmaker should do is Marty Scorsese films are just, you know, they're just trash. And anybody who likes Marty Scorsese films are zombies that that is unnecessarily alienating people. You shouldn't talk shit about like if you're a professional filmmaker, you should not be talking shit about DC movies. You shouldn't be talking shit about Harry Potter movies. You shouldn't be talking shit about James Bond movies. You shouldn't be talking shit about Marvel movies. And you especially should not then start talking shit about the audiences that watch and enjoy them. You know, I expect this kind of crap from, you know, professional boxing or like whatever. I do not expect this stuff from our filmmakers because filmmaking is not a competition. Filmmaking, I mean, we as fans like to talk about it and frame it in in the conversation of of, uh, competition, maybe. But we as fans, you know, that's us to to talk about it in those terms. It's not, it's not, um, it's not for the filmmakers themselves. I just, it always leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't like it when Marty Scorsese did it. I don't like it when... When he does it. And again, there's a difference between just saying, I don't like these movies. They're not for me 
And then that's just directly trying to throw a whole ton of filmmakers under the bus and then insulting the the fans of those things. I just Hi, John, I just got my volume back. Sorry about that. Oh, guys. Your volume was there. You just, I, don't, I think you just weren't hearing me, but we heard you the whole time. No, I, 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 I was I wasn't hearing you, but um, I'm, I'm assuming that you gave us all a Campia class lesson on the freedom of speech and what that actually means. So, yes, Denny Villeneuve absolutely has a right to his opinion. Um, but when he um, just to finish up what I was saying, when he completely dismisses an entire genre, not just a genre that so many of us have enjoyed, but also a genre that so many of his of his own fans of this movie are going to have a crossover with, um, you know, I, I like it when we all have a common enemy and we all, and when, when we all had the common enemy of the studio that was screwing over Dune's distribution by not having it exclusively in theaters, that may just made it a little bit easier for us to all get behind this filmmaker and his film. Um, just the timing was not great, and and I just don't understand the motivation behind this. Um, that, I, I don't understand what his end game was. To was a little MCU pun. Uh-huh. Um, see what I did there. I just don't understand what his end game was in saying this. Um, and 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 yes, of course, everybody has a right to their opinion. But you know, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. That doesn't mean they necessarily need to go around showing it to people. No, I agree. I agree. Look, it is still my number one most anticipated movie. Dune is still my number one most anticipated movie. I'm just not going to lie. This, this, you know, when I think of Dune, it makes me happy. I can't wait to see it. I get excited. I'm not going to lie. This sours my mood a little bit towards Dune. It shouldn't. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying, if I'm being honest, now when I think of Dune, I'm just thinking of this great, godlike, talented filmmaker saying ass stupid things and oh i want to get past it i want to get past it but anyway guys you heard it doesn't matter if he's a good canadian kid if he does shit like this i'll call him out on it listen you heard what denis villeneuve had to said what do you think about it maybe you don't think he should be giving any negative opinions at all maybe you just think he just expressed this negative opinion badly does this affect your anticipation of dune maybe not at all whatever it is you guys think jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down, let's get into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics on the John Campus Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 to www.thejohncampusshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets sent in to us by Alan Renshaw, who writes, I just saw an article on Deadline that says Tracy Morgan has joined Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito for the twin sequel called Triplets, directed by <laughs> Ivan Reitman. This sounds great, and I can't wait. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks for sending that in, man. And yeah, what is it, 33 years? Yeah, 33 Thir- years. 33 years that we have been, that people have been talking about and waiting to see and discussing you know, is there going to be a sequel to that? Now, a few years ago, I don't know if you remember this, Aaron, but a few years ago, 
there was talk about there being a triplets movie. And I believe Eddie Murphy was in the discussions to Eddie Murphy was part of it. They wrote it for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was going to be Eddie Murphy. And then I heard that kind of fell apart. And then the whole thing kind of went away. And I haven't heard them speak or discuss this in a while. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this news that the twin sequel is moving forward. Ivan Reitman, of course, the director of the original Ghostbusters films and father of Jason Reitman, who is directing the new Ghostbusters movie. He's coming back to direct Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito are there. And instead of Eddie Murphy, now they got Tracy Morgan. And that's fine. I think Tracy Morgan's a pretty, if you can't have Eddie Murphy, I think Tracy Morgan's a pretty good replacement. When Tracy Morgan for me is a little hit and miss. Like I, there's a lot of stuff I see him in that I'm not a big fan, but then I go back and watch his work on 30 Rock and I'm like, like when, when Tracy Morgan's on, he is damn hilarious. And by the way, <laughs> yeah. some of his stuff in the OG is also pretty good. But at, yeah, at any rate, I like the OG. I listen, no movie in history has ever needed to be made. No movie ever in history has ever needed to be made. It's you make the movies because you think there might be an audience for it. It could be really good and this could have some success and there could be a hunger for it, blah, blah, blah. Aaron, I got to tell you, as somebody who remembers the original uh, Twins movie very fondly, why are they making this movie? I, I, I mean... It's not that big of a place. It's not that big of of an iconic place in our pop culture zeitgeist. It's not like people have been clamoring year after year, like people wondering, like, where the hell is the Avatar movie, right? I have not heard that or felt that from anybody for a Twins follow-up. I love Danny DeVito. I want to see Arnold in more stuff. I really do. I, But I got to admit, I hear that they're going to make this, and I'm just... The only thing I can think of is why? Like, is there really, is there an audience? Now, listen, it adds to the intrigue that Ivan Reitman himself, the great Ivan Reitman is back to also, you know, direct this thing again. Again, good Canadian kid. But I, but I cannot help but wonder, like, what is the motive? Like, let's be honest here. Arnold Schwarzenegger, as much as I love seeing Arnold on screen, he does not burn up the box office, especially not in the last 15 years. Uh, Danny DeVito was just awesome in uh, Jumanji, in the in the latest Jumanji movie. He was really great in that. But I just don't know what they're thinking. Do they actually think there's a path to victory for this movie? Do they think there's an audience out there that's clamoring for this? And I'm just not sure. And all I can do is cross my fingers and hope they make something great and maybe it'll get great word of mouth. But anyway, Aaron, you hear about this. They're moving ahead with triplets. It's not going to be Eddie Murphy, but they got Tracy Morgan in there. What do you think about this? I think this movie's never going to happen. Oh, really? And here's why. Okay, first of all, I um to I I am I am a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nothing can take away from all that he has accomplished. He is an absolute true just like inspiration story. If you're ever feeling like the odds are stacked against you, that read that man's biography because it's it's incredible. Um, and so Arnold Schwarzenegger thrilled Danny DeVito. Love him. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. I have seen pretty much every episode 
probably three or four times, almost to the point where I can quote the show. He's phenomenal in the show. Tracy Morgan, Brian Fellows will make me laugh every time. I'm Brian Fellows. I love Brian Fellows, which is a, a, one of his classic SNL characters. Great on the OG, brilliant in 30 Rock. All three of these performers are great. I love them. There's so many flaws with the idea of this movie. Number one, let's just go on the age. And I know that I am always like, well, Hollywood, it's, you know, disbelief and you maybe, you know, age, blah, blah, Evan Hansen. But if we're going to go with the John Campia way of looking at how old people actually are, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito are only about six years in age apart. That's fine. Okay. We can creatively imagine that they're the same age. Tracy Morgan is 25 years younger than them. 25 years. Now, I understand that he's supposed to be this long lost brother that they didn't know about and blah, blah, blah. I get that. But and I understand that sometimes people have a surprise baby that's like nine years younger than all the rest of that child's siblings. And everybody goes, oh, that was a fun surprise, huh? Um, and we make a little joke about it. I don't know. I, I've never heard of anybody that's having a surprise baby 25 years. I mean, that's like <laughs> unless this woman had this child, had had the twins when she was a teenager, possible. And then she had Tracy Morgan when she was in her 30s, also possible. But I don't it's just already I'm just trying to do the math in my head and I'm going, OK, I'm not great at math to begin with. I'll admit that. But that doesn't add up to me. Um, so that's number one. Number two, the whole idea from this movie did come from Eddie Murphy. They were all like at a party or something or they were all hanging out and Eddie Murphy said, oh, I should be one of the triplets. Ha ha ha. Enter the seed and the script started being developed. And so they wrote this entire script with Eddie Murphy in mind. The recent success that Eddie Murphy has had from coming to America, too, which was released on Amazon Prime, has opened up a lot more doors for Eddie Murphy. His dance card is now full. He's working on other projects. He's not available to do it, which is the line that, you know, they've all been giving. Who knows what the actual reason is? But Tracy Morgan came up as a possibility. They rewrote the entire script to be a Tracy to be a, a vehicle for Tracy Morgan because obviously Tracy Morgan and Eddie Murphy are two phenomenally you know gifted comedians who came from SNL, but they are also very very different in what they do and what they bring. So you can't have. Uh, you know, you can't take out Eddie Murphy and just put in Tracy Morgan. They had to rewrite the entire script to make it fit with Tracy Morgan's style of comedy. I appreciate the fact that they did that. That makes me feel really good about this movie. But there's a couple things that if you actually really read what's being reported, and yeah, the headlines are saying, it's official. It's actually happening. But then when you actually read the the specifics, nothing is official, and it's not actually happening. Ivan Reitman specifically said, um, we are shopping this at the Toronto Film Festival market, which means, number one, this is an independent student, an independent film. There is video attached to it. He said, we are shopping it at the market. That means what they did was they got a little teaser together with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito and Tracy Morgan, and they're showing that to financiers at the market. And they're saying, hey, we need money to make this. And Ivan Reitman even said, if this movie can be financed, meaning it's not financed. Another thing, the Toronto Film Festival started on, I believe, September 9th, September 8th or 9th. And it goes until the 18th. Today is the 16th. 
And all this information just dropped in the last like day or two, meaning that we're almost at the end of the market and they still have not found financing. So I read I read all this information and I go, oh, they're having trouble getting this movie financed. So they're going to do a big media thing. They're going to leak a few things to the outlets. We're all going to start talking about it. And then that way, film financers who are going, I just don't know if we need to see this movie. I don't know who's going to watch this. They can get some buzz about it and they can go, look, look at how much people are talking about it. Don't you want to finance this movie now? And then a financier goes, oh, there is a lot of buzz. There is a lot of interest. Sure. Let me let me finance your movie. And then and only then will the movie actually start filming in Boston in January. Like they're saying they want to film this movie in Boston in January, but they're not crewing up. They're not doing anything except trying to get the money. And if they don't, if you don't see the money, honey, ain't nothing going to happen here. Okay. And Sheree, I want to read this quickly. This is from the deadline article that says, uh, this has immediately become a hot project in the Toronto Film Festival market, which, like last year, is mostly playing out virtual. The script is by Dylan Dawson and Lucas Cavender. CAA Media Finance is repping the project uh, in North America, and Rocket Science is handling international sales. They're about to send out sizzle reels with the, the trio of potential buyers. So it's, it sounds like they've got some things. But you bring up a great question. Like, who, who's going to think, yeah, I'll put up, uh, I'll put up $20 million. I'll put up $20 million in this and believe with a straight face that I'm going to get a return on my investment. Now, as far as the Tracy Morgan thing being like 20 years age difference, I I think there is a narrative there because you can't just say this was a third baby that popped out at the same time because we already saw that didn't happen in the original movie. So what they no, they're saying say, it's a sibling. Yeah. What they could say, if they're going to call it triplets, what they could say, since there's a bit of a sci-fi angle to this, they, what they could say is like, like the embryo didn't divide it divided in three and the third was taken. And then like 20 years later they took, so he could be legitimately a triplet of those guys, but he was actually born like 20 years later, depending on how they Wait, want to go about it. But it's what? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, this is, they listen, there's a little science no. fiction in this. There's a little science yeah. fiction in this. So trust me, I am the queen of IVF and fertility issues. I don't disagree. <laughs> this is, that, that, that technology no was not around back then. Trust. Like, I believe, no, the story that, that I've been reading is that Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger are are twins. Yes. And then Tracy Morgan is a sibling that was born later, probably not 25 years later. They'll probably have it be more like a 10 year age difference or whatever. But like, um, no, that, that no, no. Uh, We'll see what they do with the question is for you guys. (laughs) What do you think about the idea of triplets and Tracy Morgan being added to it? Do you like the idea? Do you not? Do you wonder like me, why is this even a thing? Are you like Aaron thinking, man, I don't even think this thing's going to get financed. What are your guys thoughts on this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... G.G. Mick, who writes, Hey, John, earlier today, I guess this obviously came in yesterday. Earlier today, you were talking about the great reactions that Venom, Let There Be Carnage, was getting, and I'm super excited to see it. 
Something that a lot of fans have been discussing is if we're ever going to see Venom meet Spider-Man. Wondering if you saw that the director just said that that we will for sure eventually see them together on screen. What do you make of his comment and how soon do you think we could see it happen? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, yesterday was great. If you're somebody like me, that you've been very much looking forward to seeing Venom Let There Be Carnage. Yesterday was pretty good because they did the first public screening of it over in the UK and the reactions coming out of it were sky high. Very, very Shang-Chi-like and we all saw how that turned out. Uh, even comicbookmovies.com, one of the, the bigger outlets in this space, they even came out and said, this is the ultimate Marvel movie. Now, what that means, I don't really know because I haven't seen the film myself yet, but it sounds good. It sounds good. So there was a lot of hype and a lot of excitement uh, coming out of all the initial reactions coming out of this film. So that's great. And I am somebody who very, very much loves the original Venom. I love the original Venom. I think it's great. That being said, director Andy Serkis, who was, of course, the motion capture genius who did, you know, uh, Caesar in the... In the um, uh, apes movies he was king kong he was obviously Gollum. he was but what's that oh no i was gonna say Gollum. yeah yep, he was Gollum. uh and then of course he was uh in black panther uh he was ulysses claw he was so great i just saw black panther again the other night he's so great in that movie i so wish i hate the ms that the mcu does so many fake deaths but man if they're going to do it for one character i would love to see ulysses claw back anyway that said he is directing venom 2 And he was asked, you know, while doing something, I believe it was with IGN, he was asked like, hey, do you think we're ever going to see Spider-Man and Venom together on screen? To which he said the following. He said, look, that's the question on everybody's lips. They want to know if Venom is going to meet Spider-Man. But personally, it's never going to happen. I'm only joking. Of course it's going to happen. Of course it's going to happen, says the director of Venom 2. Now, this has obviously got a lot of people talking and, and, and discussing things. But number one, he's right. It's going to happen. But it's obviously inevitable that it's going to happen. Let, let's jump over to the classroom for a second. All right. <laughs> Here's why Andy Circus is right. I mean, this this is like saying, you know, the sun will come up tomorrow. Well, well obviously it is because... There are three possible scenarios here. One is impossible. Okay. Uh, Scenario number one. This one's impossible. The Marvel slash Sony deal goes on forever. That's not going to happen. All right. That that's just not going to happen. Now, I don't know if the Sony and Marvel deal is going to end next year. I don't know if they extend it for another three years. I don't know if they extend it for another five years. But at some point, the Marvel and Sony deal will dissolve. Right. So I think scenario number one is off the books. So that's that's not even something we need to worry about it. Scenario number two. Marvel. Uh gets Spider-Man back. Like they just, they get the rights to Spider-Man and all of his characters back. Well, if that happens, then obviously at some point, we're going to see Venom and Spider-Man on screen together. So the only thing that's going to keep them from being seen together is if the Marvel-Sony deal goes on forever, and that's just not going to happen. At some point, that's going to end. So the, the one alternative scenarios that Marvel gets Spider-Man back. If that happens, then obviously we're going to see Spider-Man and Venom on the screen together at some point. 
But then there's scenario number three, which is Sony keeps or, or uh, Sony a- after the, the Marvel Sony deal expires, Sony keeps Spider-Man, which I think is probably the most likely scenario. But also in this scenario, if Sony takes back Spider-Man and they keep him, guess what? You're going to see Spider-Man and Venom together. So let's even just take out that first scenario because that first scenario is not a possibility. The Marvel-Sony deal is not going to extend indefinitely, okay? It, it may be extended for a few more years, maybe, but at some point it's coming to an end. And I think it's coming to an end sooner rather than later, which then leaves us with two potential scenarios. And both of those scenarios lead to Spider-Man and Venom being on screen together at some point. Whether the scenario is first, Marvel gets Spider-Man back. Well, if they get Spider-Man back, that means they get all the Spider-Man properties back as well. That includes Craven. That includes uh, Morbius. Uh, that includes, um, that includes obviously Venom. And so at some point, Marvel will put the two on screen together or more likely the deal ends and Sony just keeps Spider-Man. Well, obviously they're going to have their Spider-Man and Venom together on the screen. So that's a no duh, no duh. We're going to see Spider-Man and Venom together again. The only question is about how long do we have to wait and under which studio banner will it happen? The bigger question comes from fans wondering if, well, how soon could we see that happen? Is this Andy Serkis alluding to or insinuating that maybe we see them together in Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Well, maybe, maybe. That's something, you know, Rob and I have speculated about for, for a long time now about whether that could happen. Could Morbius show up? Could we see Tom Holland pop up in the movie? That's something we have discussed a lot. Uh, but either way, when Andy Serkis says, we're going to see Venom and, and Spider-Man on screen together eventually, that's absolutely, want, take that to the bank, it's 100% true. Whether that's under the Marvel banner or under the Sony banner, it's going to happen. Anyway, Aaron, I I know what a fan you are of all things spiders. Anything with a spider in it, you got to run to see it immediately. Arachnophobia. Love it, love it. I don't have arachnophobia. Curse of the Spider I Woman. Said, I actually said to Tom two days ago. Um, so a friend of mine, um, uh, lost her husband last year to COVID. And so I've been babysitting their young son every Saturday and I was babysitting him this past weekend and he was watching a little cartoon and it was singing little songs. It was itsy bitsy spider goes up the water. <laughs> hated it when I was a kid, but they have this like big hairy spider cartoon but just like has the cutest little eyes. And so I was hiding my eyes. Yes. From the spider cartoon on kids television, but I kind of peeked and I went, Ooh, I don't like the hairy legs, but it's, it's cute. And so I realized that maybe if I start watching children's programming about cute spiders, I could, you know, get myself over this because if I have a child, that's one of those weirdo bug fanatics that like wants to come in and be like, mom, look what I found. Then I might have to, you know, I might have to get my child up for adoption. But that being said, um, <laughs> yes, I, lo- I, I, am, I, I will work on this. I, I will have to say, I do have to say that as much as I loathe spiders, I love, love Woody Harrelson when he plays villains. 
one of my favorite movies in high school was um, Natural Born Killers and Mickey and Mallory oh, yeah. Knox are kind of like, aside from the whole like crazy murderer thing, they're kind of my personal heroes. And I wanted to just be like, I wanted to be just like Mallory Knox when I grew up, um, except for that whole like crazy murderer thing happening. Um, so I am so, when I say I'm excited about Carnage, I'm almost, I'm almost shaking. I'm so excited about Carnage. <laughs> when I saw when I saw Woody Harrelson in the first trailer, I wanted to jump out of my seat and do like, and I just wanted to do cartwheels. I was so thrilled. So I'm, I'm so excited about this movie. Number one. And I want to go watch it in a theater filled with people that are so excited to watch it too, so that we could all just like scream at the screen together, like lunatics. Um, now back to Spider-Man. Um, According to early leaks, that's happening, you know, well, we in don't a small talk way. About, we, we don't, don't talk, talk about, about those, that, no. but right. So I, I mean, I, I, I think that we're going to see a glimpse of this in some subtle way uh, based on what I'm hearing. I think there's always wonderful ways of like planting little seeds and putting an, an Easter egg here or there that's going to get the excitement which already is happening you know get the excitement from the fans which will then in turn lead to figuring out okay now we're gonna make this a bigger thing because there's no way that you can have spider-man and venom in a movie together in a really significant way without people already knowing about it because you know, just shooting those two actors being in the same zip code together at the same time, someone's drone is going to see that and they're going to be like, oh my God, you know, uh, Tom Hardy and Andrew Garfield were in, or Tom Holland, sorry, we're in the same room at the same time. We're definitely getting our new movie. Um, so I do think that there's a way of maybe letting us know that they do exist in the same universe in this world, in the world of Venom, that Spider-Man does exist and that they know about each other uh, so that we can then go, okay, great, now it's happening. And then they can do a big promo about it in the same way that we're, that they're doing, you know, that the whole promo of this new movie is about Carnage and Venom being together. There were ideas of it being leaked before. Uh, it got a, the excitement up. And then they made the movie. And so I think that's what's going to happen. So I think we'll know that they're together sooner rather than later. But I don't think that we're going to see them really get to interact and go head to head uh, for several years. And that movie is going to have to be made because I don't think it is yet. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think of Andy Serkis's comments saying, yeah, you're eventually going to see Spider-Man and Venom together? To me, it's obviously no duh. I mean, under whatever scenario you paint, that's going to happen at some point. The question is, how soon? Sooner than we expect? Maybe not. Maybe yes. Whatever you guys think, jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down... Let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. And once again, if you want to send in a live comment or question to be read on the show or in an upcoming companion video, simply go on down and use the tip link that's in the description below or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once again, you'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel 
at the same time. And I just want to give a shout out here to Francisco who sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for Francisco. And also our friend, my comic planet also sends in a super chat badge in the live chat there as well. Thank you guys. I appreciate that very much. Okay. Let's get on over and start taking those live questions, shall we? And we're going to start things off here with James Wheeler, who writes, and tipped in like $20. Thank you, James, for supporting our channel on that level. And James writes, I just got out of my seventh viewing of Shang-Chi. I love this movie. You're one ahead of me, although not for long. I, <laughs> Anne and I have tickets to see Shang-Chi on Friday, so that will be my seventh screening. I don't know if I'll get to my Thor number, which was eight. I saw Thor in, in theaters eight times. But uh, but I'm going to go see it for my seventh time on Friday. So good on you, James. I'm glad you like it that much. Speaking of which, thank you again, John, for uh, for for inviting Tom and I and all of your friends and family and Anne's family to come watch um, uh, Shang-Chi in the theater. That was Tom's. Yeah, it was an awesome day. It was Tom's first time seeing it. He absolutely loved it. Uh, and someone from Anne's family brought Krispy Kreme, which always makes me happy. And I and Kimberly and I had the most beautiful moment of love because I didn't know she was coming to the theater. She didn't know I was coming. We never met per, in person because we're never in. You know, I'm at home. She's at home. Uh, and when we saw each other in person, it was really a gorgeous moment where we both screamed out loud and ran towards each other and just hugged and hugged and hugged. And then I turn around and John was just not paying attention. I go, John, why aren't you getting this on camera? This is, this is a beautiful <laughs> moment of love between two of your co-hosts who are meeting for the first time. You got to capture these moments and share it with the people. Yeah. There's a picture of all of us together. My little, you know, you can see you can see my roots that needed to get done right at the bottom <laughs> of that picture. <laughs> like, whoa, we needed to get but needed to go to that set. I want to point out a couple um, people. So right above my head in the blue cap, that's Tom. That's yep. that's Aaron's husband, Tom. Uh across from Aaron, um, who looks like she's sneaking up behind me for some reason. Across from Aaron, you see the guy with the big eyes, like the that's Ray. That's uh, Ray yeah. that you guys are always asking. That's Ray, the guy, my brother. Who does, who does all the this, graphics. Who does all the graphics. And then a bunch of our friends and family. And we had this, uh, we had this private, we booked a private theater to just for us to go and watch Shang-Chi together. It was a great day. I was so glad you guys came. It was so much, it was so fun seeing Tom's reaction to the movie afterwards as well. He loved the movie. Yeah, he loved it. Oh, and by the way, if you guys would like to see uh, what Tom has referred to as the, quote, worst picture ever taken of us, please go to John Campia's Instagram page and look at the photos from the John Williams concert at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> I was like, oh, look at this picture. And Tom goes, wow, that is quite possibly the worst picture ever taken of us. And I went. Yeah, you're not wrong on that, but uh, it was still a wonderful night. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a chance to become friends with John Campy, I highly suggest it because uh, you get to be a plus plus one or plus two to a lot of really cool things. All right, let's move on here. Uh, let's see. Next up, we've got Sam Fisher writes, you're always talking about toy and figure companies. Have you ever bought anything from Gentle Giant One? One of my favorite comic artists is uh, Scott, uh, Scotty Young. He draws in a very cartoony style and Gentle Giant uh, has a line of five and a half inch Marvel figures based on his work. I have seen the Gentle Giant stuff and I know Rob has a number of Gentle Giant things. I don't personally own any Gentle Giant stuff. Wait a minute. No, I think... I think there was a Gentle Giant Hulk sculpt I had once. That might have been Gentle Giant. Anyway, I know Rob has a bunch of them, though, but I, I certainly don't have any right now. But thanks for bringing them up, Sam. Next up, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, 
I feel there's too much I need to see so I can enjoy a few big movies that come up this year. First is Venom, the Matrix trilogy, uh, first Halloween movie, Maguire and Garfield Spider-Man movies. I know I don't need to, but I want to get the full experience. Okay, so you're saying there's a number of films you want to see so you can watch their their, uh, their things coming up now. So you want to go back. Number one, yes, go watch the first Venom. I love that movie. Uh, number two, do go back and watch the Matrix trilogy. Although if you don't get past one, you're okay. Uh, the first Halloween movie, if you're talking about the 2018 version one, yes, I love that film. The Maguire and Garfield Spider-Man movies. Both of them have some fantastic movies in their repertoire. Both of them have a bad one. So like uh, Maguire's Spider-Man has Spider-Man 3. Garfield's Spider-Man has The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Not so good. But like Spider-Man 1 and 2 and The Amazing Spider-Man 1, both great. I think you're going to have a great time. Go and watch those, dude. All right, next up, James L.H. writes, Hey, John, on Monday, I was booking a third visit to see Free Guy as a friend hadn't seen it and ex- uh, a-, a great excuse to go again. Anyway, I seen tickets were were able to book for Bond at my Cineworld and they've and they've brought back first show at midnight, my first midnight since Endgame. First of all, kudos on you for getting your tickets. Aaron, I, I'm trying to remember because it used to be not long ago, not long ago. Movies open on Friday. Those Fridays are still the official opening days. But we all know that that means Thursday night you can go see the movies. It was mm-hmm. not long ago that if you wanted to go see a movie that opened on Friday, the earliest you could see it was Thursday at midnight. Midnight. The midnight Mm -hmm. screenings. And for like a number of years, that was the big thing. If there was a movie you were really excited about and it kind of sucked because you either had work or school the next day, but you go to midnight movies. And there was something, there was a real event atmosphere about going to a midnight screening. But then midnight became 11 and then 11 became 10. And I mean, like I literally just a few weeks ago saw a movie that opened on Friday at 6 p.m. on Thursday. I mean, so it's not a thing anymore. So I think that's interesting. What's the last? Can you remember the last time you went to a midnight screening to a midnight uh, premiere? Yes. (laughs) Was it one of your own movies? Yes. <laughs> oh, there you go. Because, <laughs> John, I like my sleep. I, I I need my sleep. If I don't get a good, like, you know, eight to ten hours a night, I'm more of a monster than I normally am with a good night's sleep. And so it takes a lot for me to pretty much, especially these days, it takes pretty much a, an, an act of God for me to do anything after 10 p.m. Um <clears throat> some friends of mine invited me to go sing karaoke. And I was like, well, first of all, that's awful. And then they go, yeah, it's great. We'll just meet at 1030. And I go, you're literally like, just add spiders and you'll name everything that I have no interest in having anything to do with name karaoke spiders and 1030 at night, please. Um, Yeah. I'm an old lady. So yeah, the last movie that I saw at midnight was actually bitch slap when uh, the the movie that I, that I was one of the stars of, which was a movie that helped introduce John Campia and I, because we were doing press at Comic-Con in 2008 and John uh, interviewed us. And um, so we, we were, we premiered at the midnight madness portion of the toronto film festival i believe in 2010 yeah in 2010 uh wait not toronto sorry 
Wait, was it Toronto? Yeah, the Toronto Film Festival. Sorry, my coffee just went. So yeah, the Toronto Film Festival 2010 bitch slap premiered at the midnight madness and that was the last movie that i saw yep there's me in the middle with my co-stars julia voth uh to my right and Amerika olivo to my left Amerika olivo who sang uh ave maria at my wedding because she was classically trained in opera at juilliard and she and her husband actually introduced me and tom uh so there you go uh i can't even remember the last one i was at I, honestly I mean, can't. I feel like we're going to start having Wednesday weekends at some point. You know, it'll be like, oh, yeah. well, you know, uh, yeah. midnight on thir- midnight on Thursday morning slash Wednesday night. And next thing you know, it'll be like, well, so I mean, and but that's my question for you is when they talk about the weekend box office, is there any algorithm that can balance it out for a movie that opens at? 2 p.m. on a Thursday versus a movie that opens um, at 2 p.m. on a Friday. They don't need to now because they pretty much all do that. I mean, every movie that opens on Friday now really opens on Thursday. I mean, so they're, they are balanced. So it's not like some movies don't get the early screenings. Oh, I see. It's okay. very, very rare that a movie that's opening on Friday doesn't actually have Thursday screens. Like it's very, very rare. So it's not really something they have to account for. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next up. And by the way, James LH, good on you seeing free guy so many times. If you guys still haven't seen free guy, see free guy. It's absolutely amazing. James LH also writes, Hey John, when you go to a premiere and it's really good example, Shang-Chi as somebody who talks about movies, how does it feel when you have to wait to talk about it with others about it, such as Rob, Aaron, friends of us, your audience, was it a relief doing a spoiler talk? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, dude. When I watch a movie that I really like, I, the first thing I want to do is talk to everybody about it. I mean, that's how I feel coming out of any movie. Whenever I watch any movie, even bad ones, I really want to talk about it. That's, I just want to talk to people about it. That's one of the big social dynamic things about movies, but especially when it's a movie that I really like and I just can't wait. So obviously I could talk to Rob about it, but I don't want to spoil things for him. I could talk to Aaron about it, but I don't want to spoil things for her. And I want to talk to the audience about it, but I can't. So yes, it's, it's really, it's great. There should be embargoes, but it really drives me crazy. Just waiting to find, I remember when we did the spoiler discussion for Shang-Chi, it was like, Oh, it feels so good. Just being able to talk to the audience about all the details about the film. I really love that uh, aspect of it a lot, by the way, uh, FPV forever sends in a super chat badge and live chat. Thank you, man. appreciate that. All right. Next up. We got Mark 2021 writes, Hey, John, uh, have you a favorite Irish movie? A few of mine include Michael Collins, uh, The Wind, that Sha- uh, Wind, Wind the Shakes and Barley, Sing Street, Sing Street's so good, uh, Hunger, Bloody Sunday, Angela's Ashes, In the Name of the Father. Curious to know some of yours. Thanks. Well, I mean, you just, you just kind of gave a who's who's list there right now. I mean, Sing Street was um, amazing. Michael Collins is fantastic. And this might be cheating a little bit. This might be cheating a little bit, Aaron, but I'm going to say this. Okay. My, my favorite Irish movie is actually um, uh, Rattle and Don't Hum. Don't say Rudy. No, Rattle and Hum, <laughs> which is a documentary. Oh, and wow. Rattle, Rattle and Hum is a U2 documentary. It's also the name yeah. of the U2 album, Rattle and Hum. Uh, but I, I mean, at that time, when Rattle and Hum came out, that was kind of back when I was playing in bands and U2 was my favorite band. And being able to see Rattle and Hum, it's uh, just a really great 
just documentary. It's just a really great documentary and I enjoyed it a lot. Do you have a favorite, favorite Irish movie there, Aaron? The Commitments. Oh my God, The Commitments. I could watch that. In fact, I might actually watch that movie this weekend just, you know, to give me a little bit of a pick-me-up. I, I love that movie, The Commitments. It's fantastic. Um, I got to see if I can get you back here because for some reason, I, I, I don't, don't, don't get me wrong, I can see and hear you. But for some reason, yeah, I just saw I got a little pixelated. You're getting a little bit. It's not on your end, though. Let me see if I can fix that right now. Oh, there it's I my new it. espresso machine. There you go. Um, OK, that's a great <laughs> one, by the way, that the, the commitments is a great one. OK, let's move on here. Next up, we've got uh, Alan who writes in, hey, John, is it just me or is every time you say, but John, I hear you, Mark Ellis and Natasha from Collider, LOL. Ah, uh, yeah, it's uh, that, that, that became a big thing. The whole, but John thing, that's where it kind of actually really started when we were still at AMC, the whole, but John thing. But yeah. All right. Ben Rayner writes, hey, John, I hope all is well. All is well, Ben. A Regarding a companion video you did, another movie that I like that is an hour too long is King Kong in 2005. I talk about that one all the time. The first hour is pointless. Just start on the boat and you're good. Dude, I've said that a dozen times. Like I have literally said that a dozen times or more. Uh, Just my opinion. Anyway, thanks for everything and bring on the filthy. Yeah, so Aaron, this came up the other day because word came out that Venom was 90 minutes long. And some people, Fred is like, that's too short. I'm like, no, every movie has its own, has its own unique runtime that makes that movie the best version of itself. Mm-hmm. And I said, my, I normally complain about movies being too long. Too many directors today don't know how to cut stuff out. You know, every, they just all fall in love with their own footage so much. They just don't know how to cut things out. Peter Jackson's King Kong, I, I believe, is a great example of that. Because I honestly believe you could literally just take a razor and make one cut that would make that movie three times better. As they arrive at the island. The entire first hour of that movie was completely unnecessary. You, if that movie literally start as they arrived on the island, I would still get to know who the characters are. I would understand their motivations and you're jumping right into it. But instead of sitting through an hour of nonsense, we actually now start with the actual movie. And that was a movie that really should have been shortened a lot. Do you have a movie that, that you think, oh, this is a movie that's really good, but my God, it would have been so much better if they had just shortened it a bit. Another one for me is uh- The Irishman, but- uh, do you have right, any- which, by the way, can I just address something that I wasn't going to say, but it was in the chat. The Irishman is not an Irish movie. No, no, it is. Uh- <laughs> so, to an answer for our earlier question, the Irishman is not an Irish movie. That's all we'll say about that. Um, I, I'm having trouble thinking of one like just off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it is kind of one of those things. It's sort of like everyone thinks that they have an attractive child. But, you know, just because you made it doesn't mean that, you know, you need to be posting photos of it every day on Instagram. Um, So when it comes to that kind of editing, you know, this is what I don't understand. I mean, I, I get that so many hours and so much work by so many people went into making that hour that doesn't that you don't want to cut out of your movie. But that's where the script doctor comes in, you know, and this is where we really have to slash and burn that script, you know, parts of that script and, and, and why directors who meticulously and tediously either storyboard themselves or pay the money to hire talented storyboard artists to really, you know, shoot only what's necessary. 
you know, get a little bit of fluff, but really only shoot what's necessary because otherwise you're just burning through money. And then, um, you know, you do have to potentially make the hard decision of who's going to end up on the cutting room floor, even though that's, you know, no longer a term anymore with digital. Um, but then also you run the risk of having a movie, like you said, that is an hour too long. Um, so I really think that's where the work in the script form needs to come in. Because if it doesn't jump off the page, if every single thing that happens isn't happening for a reason or to propel the story or to convey an emotion that is integral to the entire project, then, yeah, you need to cut it. And yeah. personally, I can't sit in a movie for more than an hour and a half because, as you know, John, having gone on a road trip with me recently, that is the maximum capacity of my bladder. So uh, I just I won't be able to make it. Now, I'll pee I, in my pants and get an end game. Again, some some movies need to be longer. Like every movie has a runtime that makes that movie the best version of itself. Sometimes, like a Lord of the Rings film, that could be three hours. Some means 90 minutes. It's it's unique to every movie. You just got to find what makes it. And like I often there are sometimes I come out of movies thinking, man, that movie could have used another 10 minutes to flesh a mm. couple of other things out. And there's times I come out of movies to say, you know what, that was really good, but it has pacing issues. It it could have, there were some redundant scenes that just didn't need to be there. And it could have just sung along a lot better if they cut 15 minutes out. You know, it's just a matter about finding the right runtime for your individual film. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, buy one, rent one, lose one. Pixels, that's my boy and Jack and Jill. Three completely horrible, um, Andy Samberg, I was going to say Andy Samberg. Um, uh, why am I freezing on his name? Why am I freezing on, Andy Samberg, what? Well, I was going to say Andy Samberg. Uh, Pixels, that's my boy. Why am I freezing on, on Adam Sandler? Sandler? Adam Sandler. Okay. Why, why was I going to say uh, Samberg? Andy, uh, A-S, Adam same Sandberg initials. And Adam Sandler, Andy Samberg. They're both on SNL. Anyway, um, Adam Sandler, three, and these aren't the only three completely horrible uh, Sandler movies. These are not the only three horrible Sandler movies, but these are three really bad Adam Sandler movies. Although I, okay. So if I had to buy one, I'll buy pixels. It's a really bad movie, but it's not like we'll forever go down in the annals of history of being completely horrible. Right? So there's that. Um, that's my boy. My God, that's, that's one of the worst films I've ever seen. I mean, that's a top 20 worst film I've ever seen. And is and that so the one where he, he was having an affair with, he, he was in high school and um, his teacher was, he was no, it's the one that has Rex Ryan in it. Rex Ryan's oh. in it with him. Uh, and then there's, then there's uh, Jack and Jill, which I, it, it could also be a top 20 or top 30 worst film ever made, but buy one, rent one, lose one. I will buy pixels. I will rent uh, Jack and Jill and I'll lose. Uh, that's my boy. All right. Next up. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, do you, one of two, do you think Sony's potentially forcing their characters, uh, Venom, Morbius, Craven into the MCU? They don't have the power to do that. Uh, the reason uh, why they want to do that is because they know if Venom is MCU canon, more people will go see it. If that's the case, how much creative say uh, would Kevin Feige have in 
in these spinoff films. I don't think he would have as much creative say as he would in the average MCU film, but he could give notes and some suggestions to Sony. I don't know. Do you think the MCU and Spunk will be combined or separated? Thanks. Yeah, see, here's the thing. The reason I don't believe we are ever going to see um, the MCU and the Sony-verse truly and completely merge together is because then Kevin Feige is at the whims of what Sony wants to do in their movies because if they're connected, that means whatever consequences there are from the Sony movies have to be reflected in his MCU. So I don't ever see that particular thing happening. I, I don't see that happening. Kevin Feige, and I mean this in all the best way, and this is the reason the MCU has been so successful, Kevin Feige is uh, an absolute control freak. And he needs to be. He needs to be. That's being an absolute control freak. Um, I I know the the thing everybody says, oh, no, you shouldn't have a boss who's a good... No, screw that. The reason the MCU works is because Kevin Feige is a control freak. He is absolutely has final say over every detail in the MCU. And even though he gives his directors a, a lot of creative leeway, he specifically sits down with them and says, okay, here's your boundaries. I need this to happen in the movie and I need this to happen in the movie. And you cannot do this, 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 or this. Stay within this boundary, this boundary, this boundary, and this boundary. Now, once that's all established, he says, now, this is your playground now. Do whatever you want. Be creative. Do whatever you want within these boundaries and guidelines and you're good to go. But still show me the dailies. Still Mm -hmm. show me the dailies, right? And that's why the MCU has worked so well. Is because he's like that. So it is that control freak nature of of Feige that has been able to make it successful, but also why I don't think you're going to ever see a true merging of the two because he's not going to allow somebody else to make creative decisions on a movie that has direct impact on his MCU. And uh, that's why I don't think we're going to see that happen. But and I mean, it works. And, and it works. That's the thing. It works. And by the way, they could come up with some creative thing as to how there could be some shared space with certain caveats, they could come up with something like that, but a true Sony is making MC full MCU movies and Marvel is making full MCU movies. And they all share the one house in a true full open way. I don't think that'll work for Kevin Feige, but But also, you know, you know, you talk about, um, you know, the term control freak, which obviously is a derogatory term, but you said you mean this in the best way. And I, and I know what you mean. Um, And I think that, the thing that specifically differentiates Kevin Feige from the, just the general generic control freak, you know, directors and producers out there is that Kevin Feige um, has a very specific vision. He has a vision that he has tested that has worked. And that clearly is something that, the people that he has surrounded himself with, the, the the very talented people who work in their specific in their fields, that they all can work together. They obviously no, there's no reports of Kevin Feige being a quote dictator. You know, there's no reports of him having um, a, a, an unhealthy or 
um, uh, caustic set or environment. You know, from all accounts that I've heard, he's a wonderful person to work with that allows people a lot of creative, creative freedom, as long as you said within those boundaries. You know, when I was working on Mad Men, um, after a table read from one of the episodes, I had to ask the creator, Matt Weiner, a question about my character. And as I was waiting, there were several people waiting to ask him questions. Um, someone from the costume department came up to him. There was a role of a housekeeper and they had five different sets of eyeglasses and showed Matt Weiner, the creator and showrunner, the five different eyeglasses, and he chose which eyeglasses would be period perfect. And that is why a show like Mad Men still remains one of the gold standards of period piece television shows because of that specificity. And then when you hire the people that have your same vision, like you said, John, you can give them a certain degree of creative freedom. But at the end of the day, if you know as Kevin Feige, that the buck stops with me and that at the end of the day, all the decisions are going to come down on my head. If they're the wrong decisions, you have to have, you have to be able to have your eyes on everything because if you don't, that's how you end up with people, you know, who are running studios and don't have their eyes on everything. And they're out of a job within a year and a half because someone down the line made a decision that they didn't know about but it came back on them because when the buck stops with you, when you're the boss, that's what you have to do if you want to have a great product. So I say good for Kevin Feige. And it works. All right. Next and it up, works. Uh, we've got Ahmed Is- Ismail writes, Hey John, my wife and I are going to our honey, going to our honey. I'm going to guess you mean honeymoon and have a little stop in California around the time Venom will be coming out. Nice. Uh, what would you say is the best theater I should go to as this is probably the one and only time I will be in an LA theater? Well, listen, I don't, Oof. I'm not saying it's the best one, but if you're going to be in LA for a trip and you want a movie experience, you go to the most famous movie theater in the world. You go yep. to the Chinese. Now, mm-hmm. you'll have to double check to see if Venom will be playing in it. I have a feeling it probably will be, but it might not be. But but if Venom is playing at the Chinese theater in Hollywood, you've got to go to the Chinese theater in Hollywood. I mean, that's that's just the theater you got to go to. Um, otherwise, if, if you're wanting to see Venom, there are some iconic movie theaters, but that are like indie houses that may not be playing Venom. If you can't, go to the AMC Burbank 16. It's, it's like... The, the busiest movie theater in North America, maybe go to the one in uh, no. the AMC in Century City and watch no. Venom. Hold on, a second, hold on a second. And watch Venom in the best possible way, which is in an AMC Dolby theater with the surrounds, the, the Dolby Atmos, the dual laser system, the whole bit. That's what you do. All right, Aaron, you seem to have an opinion on this. No, no, no. I am, I am vehemently begging you to, I fully support AMC and I learned more about the Dolby experience when I was at CinemaCon. Thank you very much, John. So I a hundred percent agree that every movie should be watched in Dolby everything. Cause it's, it's a game changer. That being said, you can go to an AMC theater anywhere else. True. You can True. go, you can go and see a Dolby. You can have a Dolby experience anywhere else. The thing that makes Los Angeles theaters so magical is that 
just like New York is the hub of the Great White Way, Broadway. And so when you go into a Broadway house, it is a, it is it is a spiritual experience, especially if you're a live theater lover like myself. Similarly, Los Angeles is the birthplace of the moving pictures. Los Angeles is the birthplace of the talkies. In the in the 30s and the 40s, when people were going to the movie theaters on a regular basis because there wasn't jack shit else to do except for in the 40s go off to war, um, during that time movies were celebrated in such a way that these theaters were built with such painstaking detail to the craft and to the artistry of the interior of this theater. It's not just about seeing the movie, go to the Chinese theater and go early, go 15 minutes early, just so you can sit in the theater and look at all the sculptures inside at all this etchings at the beautiful chandeliers at the uh, the texture of the seats it's not just a place to watch a movies to watch a movie it is a place that love built love for the cinema enjoy the actual theater atmosphere feel the history and then watch the movie that's what i say yes but he's asking specifically where he should watch venom so, I mean, if it's not playing there, if it's not playing there, uh, that's that's the only that's why I said, well, could then maybe go to the AMC Century City because it's a it's a beautiful movie going experience. It's great. Or the AMC. Burbank. Come to L.A. You think he's driving all the way to Burbank? No offense to Burbank. <laughs> well, when people think of L.A., they, they, yes, Burbank. Hey, that's a great theater. Anyway, let's move you on. Know what, well, another suggestion, if you're going to go see a movie at a, like a, a, a traditional movie theater, the one at Universal City Walk, that would be where I would also that's, go. Because not only one. can you, yeah, because you can not only go to the movie, but you could experience the City Walk, which is such a unique and very L.A. like thing. It's just such a cool place to go. I love going to City Walk. All right. Next up. We've got your tribal chief rights. Uh, what second trailer is more likely to play in front of Venom, uh, in front of Venom 2, no, uh, no Way Home or Morbius? I say Morbius. I think it makes more sense for another No Way Home trailer uh, in front of Eternals. Also, I saw Morbius come out, comes out in late July do you, or late January. Do you think they have faith in it given the date? Yes, they absolutely. I know for a fact they have a lot of faith in Morbius. They have a lot, a lot of faith in that movie. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. Uh, movies, trailers no longer debut in front of other movies. They debut online. They debut online. And then like eight trailers play in front of a movie. And yeah, maybe one will be a No Way Home trailer. Or maybe one will be Morbius or maybe it'll be both. But it it it's it's really no longer a, leg, a real conversation. I mean, unless it's a Christopher Nolan movie because Christopher Nolan is a m- huge control freak about the marketing of his films and Christopher Nolan will dictate my trailers cannot debut online. They have to debut in a theater in front of a movie and only in front of a movie for like a few weeks. Right. But other than that, it it just doesn't happen anymore. Trailers don't debut in front of movies anymore. They debut online where everybody can see it at any time. So I don't really think it's that big of a discussion anymore. But if I had to guess, am I getting a No Way Home trailer or like a new No Way Home trailer or a new Morbius trailer? My guess will be a new Morbius trailer. But again, it's kind of irrelevant. Do you think do you think either one of those will drop at that time? Well, personally, I would love to see a new Morbius trailer. Me too. I'm, I'm everything that I've seen of the footage. I'm really excited about it. And so 
Uh, not that anyone is tallying, but I would vote for Morbius. Uh, me too. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Patrick who writes, Lucifer season six is my favorite season. That's what everybody's been saying. I thought it was well paced and moved the plot along nicely. The finale was great and emotional. My favorite episode is episode six, the subject uh, and the end scene uh, with the singing goosebumps and tears. Great final season overall. I haven't seen it yet. Like I've seen Anne and I two nights ago, we watched the first two episodes and then last night we watched the third episode. So I'm only three episodes in. I'm really liking it so far. But so far, everybody's writing in about Lucifer saying that it's their favorite season so far. All right. Luke, I am your plumber writes one of two. (laughs) Hello, John. I know you sometimes follow wrestling and I was wondering, do you watch any AEW? They recently had CM Punk, Daniel Bryant, Adam Cole. And next month, Bray Wyatt wrestling for them. Uh, Not to mention Chris Jericho, Dean Ambrose. And they even have... uh, Luke Perry's son, Jungle Boy, wrestling for them. The wrestling and storytelling is better than the WWE, just not the production value. Just want to know if you've seen any of it. Thanks and have a great day. Yeah, I've seen some AEW. Uh, Anne and Corey would, would co- you know, they, they cover wrestling sometimes. And so uh, they've been over and had AEW on. And it looks like they're building a legitimate competitor. It looks like they're trying to build a legitimate competitor to the WWE, and we'll see if they'll be able to follow through and continue on with that. By the way, uh, uh, Love's Lot writes, uh, sends in a Super Chat badge in live chat. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. Next up. I still can't believe the WWE let uh, let Bray Wyatt go. I, oh, I just can't believe. Anyway, uh, Q Fox writes, Hey, John and crew, just saw that Dune in IMAX. I just saw Dune in IMAX, and I really liked it, and I am really looking forward to seeing part two. I am from the Netherlands, for those wondering. Yeah, obviously, a lot of countries opened Dune yesterday, and I'm so jealous that so many of you got to see Dune. Uh, I cannot wait to watch it. It's still my number one most anticipated film of the year. Thanks for your thoughts on that, Q Fox. All right, Tribal Chief writes, If Spider-Man does return to Sony, uh, one of the things I would love for them to do is a standalone Elseworld Spider-Man 2099 movie or show. Take a risk like what DC is doing. Uh, Do you think that's something they would do? And are you interested in all? I'll be honest with you, Tribal Chief. I'm not interested. And I'm not saying nobody else should be interested. And I'm not saying other people wouldn't be interested. I'm just saying for myself personally, I'm not interested in Spider-Man 2099. Um, and I don't know that there would be much of an audience for it. Now, granted, you saw DC take a risk like that with Joker, but Joker is, I don't think it's unfair to say, Joker is the most famous and iconic comic book villain ever in history, period, and stop. Um, so I, it's not an equivalent of doing Spider-Man 2099. So personally, I'm not interested in it. I don't think they'll do it. But it would be interesting to see what they would do if they did do it. So we'll keep our eyes open for that, Tribal Chief. All right, next up, Randall White writes, uh, John, my 15-year-old has had a rough week. So based on your recommendation, I took him to watch Free Guide. Nice. We enjoyed it very much. What could have possibly been a 15-minute sketch gone wrong was made much more substantial. Great job. Thanks. And again, Randall, first of all, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Isn't it great that movies can do stuff like that for you? Anyway, Free Guy. Guys, I have been beating the drum of Free Guy for, it feels like, months now. I have been evangelizing this movie like crazy. You must watch Free Guy. I'm not saying it's, like, best movie of the year, but it is such an enjoyable time at the movies. It's just, it'll put a smile on your face. It'll put a smile on your heart. You'll laugh a lot. 
it's just a really wonderful little film. And if you have not checked out Free Guy yet, do go and check that out. All right, next up, Zach writes, uh, have you watched Kate on Netflix? If so, what's your thoughts on it? I enjoyed the heck out of it. The third act falls off a little bit to me. Mary Elizabeth Weinstead was badass. Hope they do that spinoff with her character from Harley Quinn. I don't know if you've seen this movie, uh, Aaron. Mm-mm. No. So we talked on the show a while ago about the trailer for Kate. And I am a, I am big into Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. I am big into her. Yep. Spe- like ever mm-hmm. since Scott Pilgrim versus the world, I just been really, really big into her, but I thought the trailer did not look good at all. So I wasn't interested. And then about two days oh, ago, right. you remember that then about yeah. two days ago, a, I won't say who, but a big Hollywood producer that I know, uh, he texts me and just says, because I think we had had a discussion about Kate once. He just texted me and he was he was in Europe or something. He's like, watch Kate. I'm like, like the one with Mary Elizabeth. Why? Like I'm texting like the one with Mary Elizabeth. I, it doesn't look very good. He said, I just saw it. It's fantastic. Watch it. So I have added that to my queue. I am going to watch Kate. I'm surprised to hearing people saying they actually really like it, but I'm excited that they do. So, so this is a movie on Netflix. I believe it's Amazon. Or no, Amazon. Well, Zach is saying Netflix. I thought it was an Amazon movie. Maybe it is a Netflix one. Yeah. Okay. And this is based on her. And and, and what is what? Who is Kate? My my understanding of she's like some kind of infamous mob hit woman. And, oh right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I remember we, we saw the trailer. Yeah. And she's got like right, twenty four we hours. We were to feeling live. like the trailer was not. The trailer didn't really tell us anything, and we the trailer was not done very well. I remember. Yeah, I didn't but like the trailer to, at all. Yeah. Right, but it's great to hear because as we have seen many times before, you know, the trailer is not indicative of this of of the of how the movie will be at all. There are many times that we've seen excellent trailers for films and then we have been and then we've seen the lackluster film and then vice versa, times when a trailer really doesn't do a movie justice, <coughs> Eternals, and then the movie <laughs> hopefully turns around. And if you want to learn more about trailers, I, I can recommend a phenomenal documentary uh, directed by my friend John Campia called Trailers, a love story that you can check out. John, John where can they find that movie? Uh, people can find that movie on Amazon. Just search for movie trailers, a love story or on Vimeo, wherever you live anywhere else in the world other than the US and the UK. So that's where you can plug, find plug, it. Plug, plug, Thank you for the plug. I appreciate that. All right. Sam Fisher writes, uh, sent yesterday, uh, loved your late night companion video, stayed up until 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, but everybody names their late night shows after dark. May I suggest calling them filthy companion videos or companion video filthy edition? <laughs> now, I'll so so what has happened is this. So every once in a while, Aaron, I do, I do companion videos because we don't always get through all the questions that get sent in. And so to help stay up, up to date with all the questions that people send in, we do companion videos. And then about a month ago, I guess, I was sitting down to do a companion video and I just thought, why don't I just stream this live? And so I streamed it live just at last second. And we had like 400 people jump into this, jump into live chat just when with no awesome. announcement, whatever. And so I did that every once in a while. And then I did one the other night and somebody said, you should call this John Campia after dark. So I said, okay, screw it. I'll just call it John Campia after dark. And then I've done a couple called John Campia after darks. Here's the thing. Um, I know I watch a show called Poker After Dark, so that's where I, I kind of lifted it from Poker After Dark, but a, a bunch of you guys just considered to say, call it Chunk Happy After Dark. Here's the thing. I'm not going to rename it, but if you can't tell, 
I don't care about the title of shows. That's why my show is just called the John Campia show. Cause I don't care about the title of a show. I really don't. And so, yeah, could, could I come up with a more original name for live companion videos other than after dark, something that a thousand people use? Sure. I could come up with something more original, but why, why, why do I need to? I don't. Why so reinvent really- the wheel? If people are already f- familiar with something, you know, you just, that way people go, oh, okay, so this is not the traditional John Campia show. This is a companion video. Yeah. That's basically what it says. That way you don't have to explain it to anyone. So I don't, I don't think you saw it, Aaron, but let me bring up an image here uh, just to give you a sense of what it is. Let me see if I can bring up this image. Okay. So I will bring it up on screen here. So it was apparently. In just a second. Okay, so I'll bring it up on screen here so you can you can see it. So as you can see, I just make the aesthetic a little bit different. Like I have the room dark, the background light is red. Why are you it's, dressed like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker? Uh, that's my Joker jacket. That's my Joker hoodie. Oh, that is actually a Joker that hoodie. That is actually a Joker <laughs> hoodie. That was intentional. It's totally intentional. And and by the way, I just want to shout out to Damn, Ty- I was trying to like get a little dig in and you totally smoked me no, on that really one. Actually, okay. yes. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Tyler James who sends in like three super chat badges. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate that. So yeah, that's my joker jacket anyway so and 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 i started off with like i I started off with a stupid intro like instead of greetings and salutations i said here was my intro the other night i said and i just made it up on the spot i'm like are you ready to get dark i said this is after dark where we talk about alcohol consumption and recreational drugs and casual sex with multiple partners. And and I don't know why, but I just started the show. But then I had this idea. I want to run it by you. I had this idea on After Dark. This is ways to make it ridiculous because some people writing and saying, John, you should be wearing a smoking jacket. You should have, even if you don't drink it, (laughs) even if you don't drink it, you should have a glass glass of bourbon, even if I don't drink it because I don't drink bourbon, but whatever. But then we have this idea. Now, I want you to look at the screenshot again. I had this idea. I, and I thought just, just one time, one time, I think to really fill out the after dark mood, I think I'm going to hire a couple of club dancers to I dance. I was just going to say you that. You say should that? put a pole behind you. I yes. just have someone just like swing. And because this is a, you know, we know we, we are a opportunity employer at the John Campia show. You know, it's not just going to be uh, lady, lady dancers. It's also going to be a couple of uh, beefy, you know, beefy hotcakes, you know, um, back there on some banana hammocks. Yeah. So I thought I, I'll, I'll put, uh, get just just one time just and just you won't even be able to hear the music i'll have some music in here so they can hear it, but the audience would and just for no reason whatsoever just behind <laughs> me on each side of me one on each side of me just dancing in the background for the entire hour of the show you could do that or here's another idea adding on to that is you don't have them the entire time because I do want people to pay attention to what you're saying. I don't want them to be too distracted. Um, And so maybe you can just have like quick little 30 second dance breaks and have them, you know, run behind you and dance. And you can talk about something sort of, you know, frivolous and silly and just play the Benny Hill music while that's going on. (laughs) Although I will say that uh, apparently, so I remember like I was shooting a, 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 stupid little independent film in Dallas, Texas, many, many years ago. And uh, Dallas, in case you were not aware aware of this, has some excellent exotic dancing 
uh, clubs. Well, I don't say and, I mean exotic dancers, like like club dancers, you know, like dancers that would be in oh, like Vegas I thought club. you meant. I'm not talking about oh. strippers, although a pole would be fun. But I mean, exotic no, I'm not talking dancers. about strippers. I'm talking like, like, uh, like I have a I have a friend of mine who's like actually a, who's just clubs in LA hire them to dance in the clubs. Right. So just something like that. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do strippers or anything like that. But anyway, Dallas, I want to hear more about Dallas's exotic dancer community. This sounds interesting. So I was doing so I was doing a movie and um, they were like they were giving us a tour. This was like an off hour. So it was like during the daytime we went to we went to this club and they were giving us a tour and we were up in the balcony area and there were little screens. And I go, oh, that's really smart. That way the people in the cheap seats can get like a more close up view of the performers you know and then the the guy goes no that's not what those tvs are for they're so that the guys can watch sports and i went i'm I'm sorry what and me having the massive ego that i had i went okay for that reason alone i would never be able to be a dancer at a strip club because if i was doing my performance and i saw somebody checking out the score on the baseball game i'd probably take off my stiletto and stab them through the eyeball (laughs) like that's the ego that i have is that like i'm not gonna compete with the packers when i'm like shaking my goodies on a stage no 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 tom has learned the hard way when Aaron Cummings gets naked in front of you, my sir, you will pay attention to me. You will not be distracted with your sports ball. You will look sports at my titties ball. and my butt shaking. So I was like, well, if I ever wanted to be a stripper, I now know a reason why I won't. I'm not going to compete with your sports ball when I'm shaking my goodies. Ladies and gentlemen, when Aaron Cummings gets naked in front of you, don't you be watching sports ball. You're, no, you're you don't your be watching that sports ball into your hands. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Oh, you know what? Sorry, I've already kept you overtime, Aaron. I just realized that was fun. Uh, but yeah. Aaron, thanks a lot for being here today. In the meantime, of course, it's very. By the way, I just saw, I just read that your the movie you're appearing in coming up with Will Smith, King Richard, is actually going to be closing out the AFI Film Fest. Um, oh, wonderful. Yeah, I just read that in Deadline yesterday. So uh, congrats well, on that, of course. And thank you. Else. I actually ran into uh, my next door neighbor who <clears throat> is a marketing executive at Netflix Films. Um, I, I, I tell him, I'm like, well, m- my boss and I talk about you a lot on our show. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, you kind of need to step it up a little bit. Um, but uh, he, well, I saw him getting out of a taxi or out of, out of an Uber. He had just come back from the Telluride Film Festival and had a suitcase. And he goes, um, hello, Aaron. I was just in Telluride and I'm watching King Richard and I had no idea you were in the movie. And then there you were. And so uh, it's apparently making the film festival rounds and getting a lot of positive feedback, which I'm thrilled about. Uh, yes, King Richard opens in theaters nationwide on November, uh, November 18th, whatever that Friday is, or maybe Thursday. So I hope that you will go out and watch that to kick off your Thanksgiving holiday. And I, I hope that Will Smith wins his very much deserved Academy Award for it. Also, um, uh, an independent film that I did with Sarah Shahai and Ashley Zuckerman about two years ago in Seattle is currently available on iTunes and Amazon. It is called language arts and it is a really moving story about um, generational autism and the effects that, uh, and how families react and their own uh, 
experiences with uh, with with their children. And so it's a really heartwarming, touching movie that I highly recommend you guys go check out. Um, and, and another thing that I'll talk about another time, I just got hired to work with one of my uh, one of the gods of uh, screenwriting and playwriting, John Patrick Shanley. I'm going to be working on him and uh, for a play that he is developing soon, which I'm really thrilled about. So I'll tell you guys more about that later. And now I'm going to go take Joey for a walk. Joey's. Come here, doo doos. <laughs> lift your head so slow. Anyway, good to have you here, Aaron. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good one. Bye, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Cummings. Thanks a lot for being here, Aaron. But now, guys, we still have some more time, so let's keep on rolling through the questions, shall we? Uh, we're going to get now to Bat Reeves, who writes, If you could erase your memory of a film's trailer or any knowledge of the plot... Would you do it before seeing any movie? Uh, if you knew that avoiding any new new the Batman trailer would enhance your experience of the film by at least 15%, would you avoid, avoid it? No, not really. The only times I ever feel like I wish I, I had avoided a trailer is if after seeing the movie, I realized that the trailer had indeed given away major spoilers in the trailer. Like, I don't, I don't normally, 99% of the time, I don't really feel a lot like the trailers give away too much because for all I, I hadn't seen the movie for all I know, the trailer really didn't give anything away. Maybe all the stuff that they just, that they just showed that I feel like show the whole movie, maybe in actuality, it was only stuff that happens in the first five minutes of the movie. Like, I mean, I just don't know. But when I see a movie and I realize, oh my God, this big thing that we're building up to, I know it's going to happen because I saw the trailer and now I know it's going to happen. That's the only time. But honestly, for me, watching a couple of trailers for a film is a part of my overall experience of that movie. So I'm sure there would be some specific circumstances where I would, but generally speaking, no, nah, I wouldn't take that away. I, I do like that a lot. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Mark 2021 writes, John, I just purchased a, a clip cup holder. I got my, I can't take it out right now because I got my drink in it. I just purchased a kip clip cup holder seconds after you showing it to us. Thank you because we showed it on the show yesterday. I'm glad you enjoy it, Mark. I get great use out of mine. I love mine. All right, next up, Nightmare on Ed Helms Street. I like that name a lot. Regarding China, could the MCU just have two different edits of the Avengers film? No. Uh, cut Shang-Chi out. Don't we see different edits of films for China all the time? Obviously, it would depend on how much he's in it, but a scene or two seems doable. Sure. If Shang-Chi is only in an Avengers film for a scene or two, and those scenes don't have anything important happen in them, sure, you could just cut those out. But if you're only going to have Simu Liu and Shang-Chi in the movie for one or two scenes, what's the point of having him in the movie at all? Especially if they're scenes that aren't important or pivotal to the movie. So, no, that's just not practical to do that. It's really not practical. All right, next up. All kill, no fill. In honor of the great Norm MacDonald, everyone should watch his legendary moth joke on Conan's late night show. It's on YouTube. We're well, you're welcome. I love that joke. And that moth joke, and by the way, Black Bono Lala sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, man. Um, that moth joke epitomizes the comedic stylings of Norm MacDonald. If you didn't know, he goes on this big, long rambling thing about this moth who goes to a podiatrist. And this huge story, and then it has this one quick killer punchline at the end. It completely highlights the, the comedic stylings of Norm MacDonald. If you haven't seen it, uh, do take his advice 
I go and check it out on YouTube. It's an absolute, it's, it's the moth joke. Just look up Norm McDonald moth joke on YouTube. It's really, really fun. It's really, really fun. All right, next up. Jonathan writes, well, what if step back into mediocrity? It's better than it, than its first two episodes, but it pales in comparison to episodes four and five. Interesting concept for sure, but not much wow factor like the previous two episodes. Yeah, I the, the new what if thing, um, the new thing is, um, what was I going to say? The new thing is... The new episode of What If is not good. The Killmonger episode is not good. Um, it's, it, I, I just didn't understand. Like with the, with the Hank Pym episode and with the Doctor Strange episode, like these were telling like radically different stories and, and like, like doing, taking real full advantage of the What If scenario, right? This one is just like, the story of Killmonger is still basically the same. He's just going about it a little bit differently. And yeah, it's just, I'll be honest with you. I found it boring. Uh, quite frankly, I found the episode boring for, for me right now. The whole what if thing has been hit and miss so far. They've had an equal number of really interesting episodes versus very much like, what was the point of doing this episodes? You know what I mean? But Ah, hey, they still got a few more to go. Maybe they'll they'll all be uh, they'll all be good moving forward. All right. Next up, an anonymous viewer writes, um, "Hey John, do you remember the movie Fletch? Oh yes, with Chevy Chase. Absolutely. I remember Kevin Smith was supposed to do a remake, but nothing happened. I think the movie still holds to this day. Chevy Chase was brilliant. He mostly improvised. Do you think a remake would work? Love your body, Larry. I don't know what that means. Anyway." Is that something from Fletch? Okay, so there were actually two attempts. There were two attempts to get a Fletch remake done. The first one was actually years ago, uh, back in the early AMC days. Guys in the um, in the live chat, what is the guy's name? Who is the star's name of... Damn it, now I can't even remember the name of the TV show. Damn it. What is the comedy that is about the doctors and it was canceled and it's got, oh my God, I'm freezing on it now. I can't remember. Zach Braff. Thank you. Emily S. knew in the live chat, knew exactly what I was talking about. Zach Braff and Scrubs. Thank you. Then a few other people knew it too. Jim Mellon, Yellow Flash, uh, Raven, Shelton. Okay, yes. So there was an earlier attempt to get a Fletch remake going and it actually had momentum. They had brought on producers and Zach Braff was going to star in it. Frankly, I actually thought Zach Braff would have made a really good Fletch. I really do. I thought Zach Braff would have made a really good Fletch. Um, so there was that one. And then inexplicably that one just kind of disappeared. And then Kevin Smith was going to do one. I was never really sure if that would work. I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. I just didn't know if that that pairing was ever going to work. But yeah, I heard that one kind of disappeared as well. Um, so yeah, yes, I do think at some point you could do a Flash, a Flash reboot. 
Flash. Fletch. I do believe you can do a Fletch reboot at some point and probably do it well if you get the right people involved. But I think those both of those incarnations, um, I think both of those incarnations are dead. I think. I don't know for sure, but that's the last I heard of them. Okay, next up. Suthius writes, whose plan is more realistic to you? Zemo's plan and everything that happened directly or indirectly in Civil War or Killmonger's plan and everything that happened directly or indirectly in his What If episode, which, by the way, episode was just okay for me, 6 out of 10. I'm, I don't give scores, but uh, I'm not even sure if it was okay. Listen, Zemo's plan was more realistic because I contend that everything that ultimately happened in uh, Civil War probably was going to happen even without Zemo's involvement. I mean, Zemo's ultimate plan was to turn the Avengers against themselves, but really, ultimately, everything was moving in that direction anyway. And I really think what he ultimately wanted to have happen was ultimately going to happen regardless. So I will say Zemo's plan was more realistic. All right, next up, Jonathan writes, the Kung Fu Panda trilogy brings me absolute joy. Every movie gets better and better for me. I know it's not the best animated trilogy. It may have its flaws, but I love it all the same. Your thoughts on the trilogy? If you hate it, go easy on me. No, I really like the Kung Fu Panda movies. The third one, not so much. I didn't actually enjoy the third one that much. I, I could have done without it. But I really did like the first two a lot. And it seems, sounds weird to say for an animated film, but the martial arts choreography of an animated film, but the martial arts choreography in the Kung Fu Panda movies are actually really good and I actually quite enjoy them. Again, the third one, not so much for me, but I do really like the first two ones. All right, next up, uh, HV3 writes, thank you, John, for everything you do. Oh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. He also writes, uh, this is the only movie conversation community I can be a part of. Everything else is way too toxic. I really appreciate you and this community you have created. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that very much. Thank you for being here and being a part of that community and for being a part of why the community is so much fun to be a part of. So thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Next up, Stubble McShave writes, I saw Dune in the movie theater. This is a movie that you should see in the cinema on the largest possible screen. It's great. That being said, it's not a popcorn movie that you watch six or seven times in the cinema. It's more dense uh, than most big budget films, which is kind of what I've been hearing from most people who've been able to see it already is that, yeah, this is. And this is why I kind of think like this is going to be an Oscar contending movie, if not an Oscar winning movie for best picture. They're saying it's got all the spectacle of the big genre films, but it's also got all the depth and it's much higher concept than a lot of the other ones coming out. And that's what I'm hearing. And I, I cannot wait to watch it. Stubble dude. I cannot wait to watch it. All right. Next up, we've got Obi Brom Kenobi writes one of two. Hey, John, I just came home from watching Dune. More people sing Dune. It is a phenomenal introduction into the world of Dune. While you'll have to wait a couple of weeks longer, I will go see it again in IMAX this weekend. And now I know how a lot of you guys felt when I got to go see Shang-Chi so many times because I'm just sitting here like all jealous. I am so jealous you guys are getting to see Dune already, despite all the stupid things that Denis Villeneuve said earlier today. But that aside, I cannot wait to watch this movie. And I'm a little bit jealous that a lot of you guys are seeing it already. All right. Uh, next up, 
Uh, sorry, there's a part two. I'm happy to get some payback for you for making us. Je- oh, you just said what I was going to say. I'm happy to get some payback for you making us jealous when you went to go see Shang-Chi three times before it opened to the general release. Well, there you go. You're getting your revenge, dude. And I am still jealous. All right. Jonathan writes. I'm interested in seeing Saints of Newark, the many Saints of Newark, but I have never watched The Sopranos. And with work, I don't know if I'll have time to see it before the movie rolls out. Do you think I get lost by the movie or should I still see it? All right. Understanding that I have not watched the movie. So I really can't say. I I really can't say. You know, when people were asking me, hey, John, I haven't seen a bunch of MCU movies. Should I watch Black Widow or will I be able to follow Black Widow? I had seen Black Widow and I was able to say, you know what? Even if you haven't seen any other MCU movies, you you are good. You can go roll in to watch Black Widow and you'll be fine. Same with Shang-Chi. If you've never seen an MCU movie before, you will have no problem rolling into the theaters and watching Shang-Chi. There'll be a few things that will go over your head. For sure, there's there's going to be a couple of references here and there. But as far as being able to sit down, get and understand the movie and the story of the movie from start to finish, you're good. That's something that, that the Marvel films have been very good at. I can't say that for The Many Saints of Newark because I haven't seen the movie yet. So my guess is it will probably be the same thing. That if you know The Sopranos, you're going to get more of the references. But if you go in cold... I'll bet you'll be able to understand what's going on. Especially since this movie is a prequel to The Soprano Show, right? Especially since it's a prequel. So, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's my take on that at any rate. All right, next up. We got Charlie Jeffrey Hood writes. Uh... I'm actually quite excited for The Many Saints of Newark, another one about Many Saints, since it comes out in the UK next week, but I've only seen one episode of The Sopranos. This is kind of the same question as Jonathan. Uh, I've only seen one episode of The Sopranos. Based on what you saw at CinemaCon and the trailers, do you think I'm good to watch it without having seen the show? Exact same answer uh, that I just gave to uh, somebody else there. Yeah, it's perfectly good. You should be fine to to be able to walk in and, and watch that. No problem, Jeffrey. All right, The Eighth writes... At first, I thought Nolan was a bit overindulgent with the four-month theatrical window, but then I realized if anyone has movies that will 100% always look gorgeous on the big screen and can be viewed multiple times, it's him. Also, this dude is powerful. Yeah. Now, that's, of course, a um, that is, of course, a reference to the topic of yesterday's show where we discussed the fact that Christopher Nolan was able to demand a longer theatrical window for his movies than other movies get. I've never heard of a director asking for that, let alone getting that right. And look, nobody believes that his new movie will actually play in theaters for four months, but he believes that there should be a gap between when a movie plays in theaters exclusively then it should wait and there should be a time gap before coming out on home streaming or home video. And um, I understand why he thinks it's good for the industry. He thinks it's good for the business to do that. So that's why he was asking for that. But yeah, not many people have that kind of power that they can walk into a movie studio and say, you want to make my movie? Here's my demands. Boom, I want a longer theatrical window. I don't even think Steven Spielberg has that power. That, that's that's how powerful Christopher Nolan is in the business right now. I don't even think Scorsese, not Denis Villeneuve, not Steven Spielberg. I don't think any of them have the power to do that except for him. It's kind of interesting to see. Uh, okay, 
Next up, we've got Pablo uh, Zaniga writes, and tips in like $20. Thank you, Pablo, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Uh, Pablo writes, hey, John, I don't know if you've heard the big news coming from We Got Discovered. For those of you who don't know, never, ever, ever listen to anything that comes out of We Got Discovered. Uh, it seems that they're developing a prequel series for Felipe, the sentient dancing microphone. Rumors are that Ben Platt is in talks to play Felipe during his elementary school days. And of course, if, uh, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to like commission a comic book artist and I'm going to put out like a five page comic book story of Felipe, the sentient dancing microphone. One of these days I will have to do that. All right. Uh, anonymous viewer writes, it's a pizza place where you make your own pie. It sounds like something from Seinfeld. It's either Seinfeld or like a, um, or a Woody Allen movie. It also sounds like something that would be out of a Woody Allen movie. I'm going to go with Seinfeld, though, uh, on that one. All right, next up. Jay Wentz writes, Hey, John and Co., it seems as though uh, Michelle Yeoh isn't the only one in Shang-Chi with a variant. As we know, she has a variant in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but the video bus guy also has one in Spider-Man Homecoming telling Spider-Man to do a flip. Except, I think he's supposed to be the same guy. Like, I don't think that's just the same actor playing two different characters. I think it's implied that he's the same guy. Whereas Michelle Yeoh is, you know, Shang-Chi's aunt in Talo, but she's playing a different character who also happens to be a Ravager in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. They're not the same character. You know, Shang-Chi's auntie was not a Ravager. Whereas the guy on the bus, I think he's supposed to just be the same guy. So I don't think it's a, a variant situation. I don't think it's a variant situation. All right. Um, next up. We only got a few minutes left here, guys. Uh, Sam Phillip writes, Hey, I just watched The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened for the First Time, and I thought it was great. For those of you who don't know, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened is the documentary of the late, great John Schnepp. Um, he poured a lot of heart, soul, and passion in that movie for many years, uh, and I thought it was great. My question is, what are your feelings on Superman Lives? Would that have been a movie you would have wanted to see, or are you glad it didn't happen? Thanks. That is something that John Schnepp and I very much differed on. Because if you watch John Schnepp's documentary, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? It's a fascinating look at that, uh, at that Tim Burton, what was going to be Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage's Superman movie, which was going to be called Superman Lives. And it's a fascinating documentary that he makes. But at the end of it, you know, Schnepp's conclusion after making the documentary was, man, they really should have made this movie. Whereas my conclusion after watching his documentary is, oh my God, I'm so glad they didn't make this movie. <laughs> I am so glad they didn't make that movie. Yeah, put me, Sam, first of all, everybody should go and check out his documentary, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. Um, my conclusion of the documentary was, man, thank God they never made that movie. Whereas some other people are feeling like, man, I really wish they made that film. But that's the that's the side of the aisle I fall on, Sam. All right, next up. We got Jojo Giraffe who writes, one of 15. Okay, John, here's why you need to watch Clone Wars. Just kidding. I, hey, man, I saw all of Clone Wars. I did. I saw it all. Anyway, I, I'm not a fan of it. Had some good 
things, some not so good things. Overall, I'm not a fan of it. Anyway, I just want to say thank you for all that you do and all the effort you put into the show. It doesn't go unnoticed. Best regards from uh, Palos Verdes, not far from Riverside. Yeah, actually, uh, we've got family that lives in Palos Verdes. Uh, Anne's, Anne's aunt and uncle and one of her cousins lives in uh, Palos Verdes. So, and we, we've gone there for some family get togethers before. Beautiful place, as a matter of fact. All right. Thanks for writing that in Jojo. All right. Mischievous Gremlin writes one of five. Hey, John, I just came back from a horror double feature tonight. First, I went to go see the, to the theater to invoke the name of Candyman. However, I was only able to say his name three times because I thought the movie could have been so much better. And then I saw Malignant. Now, at first, I got to tell you, uh, I was the first thinking about seeing this movie on HBO Max last Friday, but I never got to it. So over the weekend, I pretty much avoided all the spoilers about the twist going into this movie. And damn, that was one interesting batshit crazy twist. I'll tell you that. I'm not going to go into the information because I don't like spoiling it for people. But overall, I thought the movie was at best was average as well. And lastly, I see you guys made a list of what your most... um of what you're most and he forgot to put in part four. I got one, two, three, and then five. Anyway, Venom, let there be carnage. Uh, number three, let him that let there be carnage. Number two, Dune. number one, no time to die. You may be asking, where's the many saints of Newark on that list? And I have to be honest. I never really got into, uh, probably into the Sopranos is what you're going to say. Hey, no problem with that. And again, yeah, I felt the same way about malignant. It didn't really work for me. I don't hate the movie. I certainly don't. I don't think it's a terrible movie. The mystery aspect of it, I thought worked pretty well, but overall it just, I, you know, it's just, I expect better from James Wan because James Wan's a great director. And so this one just kind of left me a little bit underwhelmed. All right. Preston, the Chris, the Kryptonian writes uh, bird. I don't know what that's from. All right. Zachary Z writes, Hey, John, uh, I would love to know why you didn't end up pursuing a religious, re- religious life. I know this is neither the time or the place, but I really want to know where you are spiritually these days. I've been a fan since before the Disney, uh, before Disney purchased Lucasfilm. You know, this isn't the time or the place for that, Zach, but I will say this. There is a big difference between a spiritual life and a religious life. Um, and I don't believe in a religious life. I don't, believe i believe in spirituality i don't believe in religion i know that sounds weird a buddy of mine uh named uh bruxy cavey uh he wrote a brilliant book called the end of religion and he's like the pastor of like one of the biggest churches in all of canada and he's he's brilliant he's fabulous fabulous dude but he wrote a book i highly encourage if you're interested about that stuff he wrote a great book called the end of religion and uh, i highly recommend checking it out all right uh let's see next up Alex Von Gollum writes, Hi, Pisces and Aaron. Just missed Aaron, unfortunately. I want to give a shout out to the great Michelle Yeoh. She hasn't been mentioned much lately. We've been talking about her a lot in Shang-Chi. She brought grace and candor to her character in Shang-Chi. She's the auntie we all want to have. I love that movie so much. Dude, you put Michelle Yeoh in anything, you're going to get my attention. I mean, it's a good thing Rob's not here, but I really like Star Trek Discovery. And one of the great additions to that cast has been Michelle Yeoh. I mean, she was there right from episode one. I love Michelle Yeoh in that show as both characters that she plays, both versions of herself that she plays in that show. I really, really like her in that. But I like her in everything she appears in. So you're damn right, man. Michelle Yeoh 
uh, is uh, is a boss. Michelle Yeoh is an absolute boss. All right. Was that Alex? Yes. All right. Uh, last one we'll do today comes to us from uh, Dal Barham who writes in part one of four, John, first of all, I'd like to say congratulations on saying my name correctly in the live chat the other night. I'm glad I got it right because I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Like I'm one of the worst. Anyway, it is a very rare occurrence uh, and hopefully you'll get it right again this time. My question is about Indiana Jones five. The next Indiana Jones is still far from release, and the movie has been the recipient of some bad luck with Harrison Ford injuring his shoulder and the recent outbreak of the uh, nor- norovir- the norovirus on set that has once again halted production. I'm a di- diehard fan of the originals, but after the stinker that was Crystal Skull and the departure of Spielberg as the director, I am getting worried. I love James Mangold. Hey, listen, Mangold is an awesome director. Awesome director. Uh, but I feel like... Uh, and Indiana Jones film without Spielberg is borderline blasphemous. Yeah, well, listen, Spielberg's my all-time favorite director, but don't forget, he did direct the aforementioned Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, right? So it's, uh, anyway, uh, do you have hope that the new film will be any good? And do you think Disney slash Lucasfilm have future plans for the franchise that may include recasting the role of Indiana Jones? Thanks and God bless. Listen, any movie that is being directed by James Mangold has a very good chance of being very good. James Mangold is straight up a boss. He's amazing. He's an, not that every little single thing he's ever done has been fantastic, but most of the stuff he does is incredible. Ford V Ferrari, Logan. I mean, this dude is a fantastic storyteller, an absolutely fantastic storyteller. And if he's directing it, it automatically has a good chance. Nothing's guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed but it's automatically got a very good chance of being good. So yeah, I think it's got a very good chance of being good. As long as James Mangold's directing it, I think it's got a great chance of being good. Do I think Disney and Lucasfilm will continue Indiana Jones after Harrison Ford? Yes. It's too valuable of an IP. It's too valuable of of an IP. Um, They can say everything they want to say. They can say, Uh, that, you know, oh, without Harrison Ford, there's just no Indiana Jones. They can say that all they want. But the reality is this. Within seven years, there will be a new Indiana Jones. There just will be. Within seven years. Not right away, not all that kind of stuff, but within seven years, there'll be a new Indiana Jones. Uh, Young Indiana Jones, whatever, it's going to be there. So yes, absolutely. I have no doubt that that's what's going to happen. Okay, guys, listen, there are a few more issues still to come. We got uh, Zimbal, uh, BK Dan, Dangerous D, uh, Yumi, and others. Do not worry, guys. I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later. I don't think it'll be after dark. I don't think I'm going to do a live companion stream tonight, but I will record a companion video, and we will get all caught up on the remaining questions here uh, right now. But for now, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here, guys. Thanks to Aaron Cummings for coming along. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in, well, the Super Chat badges for supporting the show, and for all you guys who sent in the live questions, number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so much 
for your support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. Make sure you come back and join me and Robert for the show tomorrow. But for now, guys, that'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.